Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Positively Track is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, Carl Morris, and associate producer William Smith. Visit patreon.com slash positively track to help support the podcast. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, shout outs, associate producer credits, and more. Thank you for your support and keep trekking. Bridge. Well, I have a little work to finish up. Then I'm going to my cabin. I'm going to put my feet up. I'm going to turn on my personal relaxation light. And I'm going to lose myself in the pages of some old novel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Positively Trek Book Club. I am one of your hosts, Dan Gunther, and with me to discuss yet another novel in the Star Trek literary universe is my partner in crime, Bruce Gibson. Bruce, are you ready to talk some old school TNG? I am so ready for some old school TNG. Bring it on. It's fun reading the old books. You know, I feel like the newer books, I would say I kind of like the newer Star Trek books better than the older books. But anytime we delve back into the old books, I start to realize that they're pretty good too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely some interesting things about the older books and kind of getting back into that world again where, you know, most of the modern books or for the past few decades have had this kind of big interconnected long range story with the exception of course of TOS novels. But with this, it's back to those early days of Star Trek, the next generation. And when I say early days, I don't just mean like sometime during the seven years of the series, we're going back to very early days of TNG season one. In fact, we are talking about the novel Star Trek The Next Generation number four, Survivors by Gene Laura. And yeah, this takes place, like I said, during TNG's first season and very specifically in between the episodes Symbiosis and Skin of Evil. So this is an interesting novel because it's very specifically placed at this point in Star Trek TNG history. Yeah, and I think it's very important to focus on what you were just saying is that this is an early TNG novel because usually when we get early novels in a TV series that is just fairly new and on the air, they don't know exactly where the show's going. The show's even still filling itself out and trying to figure out where it's going with certain characters. And then the authors are coming in. These tie-in authors are like, okay, I've got the series Bible. I've seen maybe a handful of episodes and they have to try to figure it out. So once the show is established, a lot of times you go back to these earlier novels and you say, well, that doesn't really seem right or that doesn't really fit in quite, quite right because, you know, it was done so early on. And so we'll discuss that there may be some things like that in this novel, but I think this novel does a pretty good job. Yeah, and I mean, that's sort of the case with this novel. With this one, it was written with a number of episodes having aired, especially the fate of Tasha Yar being known at this time when it was written. But yeah, when you think of the series as a whole, there are a number of things that 
were kind of assumptions made in the first few years of the season, or even things that the, that the series outright said that have been later contradicted. And we'll talk about a lot of those things because that does come up quite a bit in this novel. And we'll definitely get to that later because, yeah, there's more than a few in this novel for sure. First of all, the very first thing I want to talk about, and I forgot to put this in the notes, but it's something that really interested me, is the more things change, the more they stay the same, as the famous saying goes. Because, I, I did you read the author's foreword? before uh the before the start of the book i think so i typically do but i don't recall what it said <laughs> okay well there's one particular part and just knowing how recently tng had premiered and where in star trek history this fits i was just really struck by some of the language the author used in the foreword where she's talking about how people may know her from writing the original series novels. And don't worry, I still love those characters and I hope to come back to them. Just because I'm writing The Next Generation doesn't mean that, you know, I don't <laughs> want to go back to them or that, you know, I feel like these are replacing them. They still exist and it's still important. And I was just really struck that so much like now with Discovery and Picard and people saying like, oh, I like the old Star Trek. This new stuff isn't really Star Trek. And I really got that vibe from this forward that she's kind of being a little defensive saying like, I love Star Trek, even though I'm writing the next generation, it's okay. I still think this captures the spirit of Star Trek in the same way the original series did. And I thought that was really interesting. Now that you mention it, I do remember reading that. Cause at the time I thought that is kind of odd. Like she's apologizing, you know, like, a little bit almost. Yeah. yeah it's like, uh, you look, I, I still like the original series. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I can still write a next generation novel, but you know, it's, it's okay. I know this isn't real. It's almost, I mean, I'm not saying she's saying this, but almost came across like a, I know some of you don't think this is really Star Trek, but I, I still like the real Star Trek people. Okay. Don't, yeah. don't hate me because of this. <laughs> I do love that she makes the point that Gene Roddenberry's vision still shines through in this new generation, even though they're not Kirk and Spock, basically. Yeah. It's, it's like what people have to say these days, defending you know, Discovery and Picard and Lower Decks and stuff. It's still Star Trek. I promise, guys, it's still Star Trek. Give me a chance here, you know? Yeah. It just shows that history is repeating itself, you know? It's Absolutely. Like, and then years from now, people will look back, you know, oh, everybody loves Discovery. What, you know? I mean, Yeah, this this new thing that's coming out in, in 2035. Boy, I wish it was like that old Star Trek, like, you know, TNG, DS9, Discovery, and Picard and all of them. <laughs> yeah, and it's like Star Trek Enterprise. I remember when that was on, I had a hard time finding anybody who really liked it or would watch it. And now I hear people all the time say they love that show. And they said, oh, I didn't give it a chance back then, but now I discovered it on Netflix and I binge watched it and I love it. I'm like, where were you back then? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, like I said, this novel, uh, it takes place early TNG, number four, Survivors. And one thing that I really like about this novel is that it focuses on Tasha Yar, a character, of course, that didn't even last an entire season in The Next Generation before the actor decided to move on and the character was written out of the show. We, of course, know that she comes back in a variety of new and strange ways every couple of years. But at this point, this character had been written out of the show. And it seems like Jean Laura is kind of writing the Tasha Yar novel here because we get a lot of her backstory and a lot of her motivation for how she is and, and where she came from in the series. 
that's why I like about this novel is be, we're going deeper into Tasha Yar and we don't get a lot of that because to your point, she didn't even last an entire season. And I, I mean, I was watching TNG in its first season when it premiered, but I wasn't yet still this big Star Trek fan. I was starting to get there. I was, I was moving in that direction. But I remember when Denise Crosby left the series because she was going to pursue an, a movie career. And I remember not long after that, I took this girl to see Pet Cemetery, which Denise Crosby was in. And I remember walking out of the movie thinking she should have stayed with the next generation. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly think because I've never actually seen that original Pet Cemetery. I think the only movie I've seen her in that I can recall off the top of my head is Deep Impact. And she had a very small role in that movie, but uh, I thought she did okay. She was the mom. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) she was fine in Pet Cemetery. I just didn't think it was all that good of a movie. And I was like, Star Trek is better. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. So basically, all all we really learn about Tasha in the first season is what's from the, the TNG Writer's Bible, where it says she's from a failed colony and had a very rough childhood and uh you know warning for some of the language i guess and 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 that sort of thing that i'm going to talk about here um trigger warning i suppose pursued by rape gangs and and things like that on on this planet in her early childhood and uh that's that's one of the things we see is that early life and childhood in this novel fairly graphically depicted i think in a lot of cases with you know her pursuit by these gangs that i was telling you about and the early uh formative events where you know she doesn't have a typical family structure she's living on the streets and with her best friend which is a cat and and this sort of thing and and some of that was pretty tough to read and i kind of had to keep reminding myself that like yeah this is right out of the writer's bible this isn't the author making this up this is the language and this circumstances that were said to be Tasha Yar's early life, according to the writers of the show. Absolutely. And I think that's what I appreciated about this first chapter, because although I found it disturbing and I remember thinking, I I hope the rest of the novel isn't quite like this. And I had a feeling it wasn't. And I thought, this is what the series Bible set up for this character this is something that would not be explored on TV at that time. So it's good to get into the dirt of this, you know, and know that her previous life was not glamorous at all. It was very difficult. And so to paint that picture here really helps define the character. And I mean, if anybody is a TNG fan and especially a Tasha Yar fan, I think this book would really be beneficial to read. Before I go any further, I should say we're going to get into spoilers for this novel. So if you've not read it, you may want to uh, to read it before you listen to this episode. But if you don't worry about that, we're going to, like I said, get into spoilers. So we get this backstory and all we really knew before was that she lived on this planet and was rescued by Starfleet at some point. And we see that happen. So there's an away team from a Federation starship led by a security officer named Daryl Aiden. And she is basically rescued off the streets by this away team. And this relationship is complicated, uh, to say the least, because this this Daryl guy, who is known as Dare, that's kind of his nickname, 
becomes kind of a father figure to Tasha and, and takes her in and makes sure that she gets schooling and education and socialization. And there's this initial bit where every person who's ever been nice to her in her life expected something else from her. And that something else is, of course, a physical interaction, let's say. I mean, I'm skirting around uh, some of the language and stuff. Yeah. But she immediately, of course, suspects that that's all that this guy wants. And he kind of has to come to the realization that that's what she thinks and assures her, no, it's not. And, you know, I'm just trying to give you a good life and that sort of thing. And all in all the things we see, her life gets immeasurably better from there, that point on. And she's raised on earth, I'm assuming, and eventually goes to Starfleet Academy and trains to be a, a Starfleet security officer. So let's get into this, Dan. So what happens <laughs> later? They get into a relationship, a romantic relationship. Yeah. So I'm going to bring out the P word, which is problematic. I think uh, we do get later on they, the the author reiterates a number of times and makes sure to say that they've met again as adults, almost as though this is like starting fresh. It's a new relationship and it's clear that he has feelings for her. And I'm reading this and I'm not really getting a ton that she has feelings for him, but it's clear that she does and they end up having a romantic relationship and it's a little weird, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not the only one that's thinking so I've seen some people online saying similar things. <laughs> yes. Like he was a father figure and now they're together. So um, I don't know. I don't know what more to say about this. <laughs> well, let, I, to your point, I saw some comments online, which is great because it, it shows that people are following along and reading this book with us, which I love, you know, mm -hmm. so we can all kind of participate in this together. But I have seen some of those comments. It didn't really creep me out that much. I mean, if anything, I did kind of feel that the romantic relationship was a little forced. It didn't seem that natural to me. It didn't really seem to build to that in a good way. I mean, it just kind of happened for me. That, it, mm -hmm. But it didn't really feel that creepy to me because I thought, you know, everything she's been through, she doesn't come from a very safe environment. And he becomes, you know, this safe environment for her. You know, it's like... There's been all these bad men in her life and she's now a teenager and she meets this guy and he was only briefly in her life. You know, it wasn't like he raised her for long. You know, he brought her. They spent like a couple months together getting back to Earth. He sets her up somewhere and he goes off on his missions and stuff. And so he's not really around that much. And it's like, yeah, when he comes back now, she's more grown she's in starfleet academy and honestly i thought about celine dion i mean this is kind of similar to her falling in love with her manager when he was managing her as a teenager you know i mean it's kind of the, and, but they were together the whole like knew each other consistently before they fell in love there wasn't a break in time where they reunited later but i, I guess what i'm trying to say is it might seem a little weird but her childhood wasn't all that natural either you know what i'm saying and so here's somebody she can trust so maybe it's easy for her to fall in love with someone like this because she's never been able to really trust any men in her life because of the experiences she'd been through yeah i, I guess part of that is actually the reason i find it a little creepy but i mean you know 
it, it's just th- that initial kind of idea of, you know, this is someone I trust. I trust that they're not going to take advantage of me. And then as soon as they meet again as adults, very quickly they develop a physical relationship. It just, there's some creepiness to it in my mind that I'm just, you know, it, it squicks me out a little bit because there is that relationship of trust. And I feel like someone in Dare's position should understand that there, there's a power imbalance there. It's it's almost like a, a similar to a patient falling in love with a doctor. You know, there should be kind of a professional remove there, even though they don't have like a professional relationship. He was the one that rescued her as an adult when she was a child. And it's just, yeah, it's a little bit creepy. I'm willing to move on from this part of the story, though, because I think I've said what I wanted to say about it. But that that is kind of coloring my impression of the rest of the novel, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, it does. And again, I the relationship doesn't really work for me regardless anyway, you know? So it's yeah. kind of like this, it's a weird thing. And the way the novel starts off, it's disturbing. And then we get this relationship. And to your point, it can be a little creepy. And it's almost like that's the tone for the first part of the book it is what it is i'm very curious to know why the author decided to go in that direction yeah at the same time it feels like almost a stereotypical choice he's the male lead in the story and she's the female lead so they're gonna get together you know right which i don't think is a good enough reason but uh it does introduce some interesting things into the story and, and torn loyalties and that sort of thing later on, which do come into play. So I do understand why dramatically you want that to be the choice. It just still comes across just a little creepy. In some ways, to me, this would work a little better if the novel turned out the way it was going. Now, this is really major spoilers to coming later on. But if we had found out that he wasn't very nice and he was using her and it's like okay this relationship really isn't real he baited her into it in order to use her but that's not really what happened so no but at one point it does kind of look like that might be the case so we get you know tasha yar's experience at starfleet academy and as she goes through the courses and classes and and training sessions and that sort of thing And now she's an ensign. She's a minted officer. And Dare and Yar are both serving together aboard the USS Starbound, which is this kind of ship being used as a training cruise because we have all these new officers of which Tasha is one. However, they are also carrying a load of dilithium crystals. So it's it's kind of this training cruise, but they've also put dilithium crystals because no one will suspect this training cruise ship of carrying dilithium crystals. But... They come under attack by Orions, and it's a brutal attack. Most of the, the senior officers are killed, and but Dare manages to survive. And there's also this whole other thing with the phasers, the phaser charging units, be, uh, a circuit being replaced, which has meant that the phasers are out of commission or something like that. So uh, they get back home after surviving this horrific attack and basically limping back to a starbase and when they get there dare is arrested and charged with treason conspiracy and murder 
basically they're saying he aided the Orions in this attack. So at this point, it does kind of look like, oh, maybe he was using Tasha and, and you know, assigned her to check the weapons latest in the roster so that she wouldn't find out. Like all these kind of little bits of evidence that point to him being a bad guy, really. Yeah. And that's exactly what I thought was going to happen is that, yeah, he was using her and he's this bad guy. And I kind of thought at least this point in the book, I thought he was kind of a jerk because he was kind of pissed off at Yar because she wasn't defending him. You know, I mean, that's where at least I feel that Yar was doing the right thing and not just defending her man. You know, it's like maybe he did, maybe he didn't. And she's listening to the evidence and the evidence points towards the fact that he's guilty. And so she has to go along with that. And he felt betrayed by her. And I thought, well, what do you expect? I mean, the evidence shows that you did this, that you're guilty. I mean, you expect her Mm -hmm. to just like deny that any of that happened. That was a heartbreaking part of the novel, I thought, where like she's on the witness stand being asked about this mission and what happened and that sort of thing. And through the questioning, she kind of comes to realize, according to the evidence that they have, he could be guilty and that maybe he did fool her and tricked her. And there's that moment in the in the hearing room where she kind of turns towards him and says, oh, my God, you did do this or you were at that meeting and you knew about this and, and all this stuff. And it's, it's a heartbreaking moment for both of them because Tasha has been betrayed seemingly by this person and dare for his part and spoilers getting to the very end. will find out that this has all been an elaborate trick and he doesn't know what the heck's going on either and thinks that Tasha has betrayed him and given false evidence to implicate him. So it's pretty brutal. And and that suspicion follows them. You know, we'll, we'll meet Dare again later in the novel. And that suspicion has eaten it away at them for the years since then too. And so I'm assuming Dan, you were heartbroken when this kind of ruined their relationship. <laughs> well, I was, <laughs> I was heartbroken for Tasha because like, regardless of, of, how I feel about how the relationship started. This is someone that she cares deeply about who has seemingly betrayed her and having lived a life of betrayal that she has since her time and as a child, like it's just one more thing and it, it was brutal. Yeah. I felt really bad for her. I didn't really feel that bad for her. I don't know why. Maybe because I just didn't feel like this was the right relationship for her. So I actually was glad that it revealed itself to be that he was not right for her. At, at least at this point in the novel, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I didn't really feel that bad for her. I mean, of course, yeah, she's going to be hurt. But mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, this is a good thing because she shouldn't be with him. Yeah, I mean, there's there's that aspect of it as well. I, I mean, I just personally, I can feel bad for someone who's gotten hurt, even though like the end result, I think, like, well, like, that's good. But, you know, it's still a hurt that she was hurt by this person, seemingly, again. At this point. See, you're the more caring person and I'm just the jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that sometimes I put the pathetic and empathetic. I'm very much like if someone's sad, I feel sad. And yeah, that's, yeah, I'm pretty empathetic. <laughs> Not sometimes in the best ways. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I cry more now than I used to. I, is that an age thing? I think I've heard that. 
I wonder about that too, because I do too. And I've also heard that like this last year has been hard on people's psyches and people are crying more because of that. And I'm wondering if that's a bit of the case with me as well. But uh, I feel I feel feelings hard. <laughs> yeah, like I, I would go to when I was younger, I'd go to movies or watch TV shows and stuff. And I, I would never really cry. I might feel like I need to cry at times, but I never cry. And I mean, I was just watching something the other day on TV and I remember picking up a tissue and wiping both eyes. I'm like, when did this happen to me? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Nikki and I right now are watching, she's already watched it before, but she's watching it with me, a show called Shit's Creek, a Canadian television show. Yes. And there are times in that show that I'm crying because... Like there'll be something really touching that one character does for another and it's this beautiful scene and I I get kind of emotional about it. And yeah, I feel like years ago I wouldn't have been like that. But yeah, lately it's they've been a little closer to the surface, I think. Yeah, we're going to retitle this show Positively Crying Trek. <laughs> <laughs> well, getting back to Dare. So uh, he is sentenced he's he's convicted of these crimes and sentenced to a rehabilitation facility however uh, before he can be put in there he manages to escape we find this out later but he takes on the name adrian darrow instead of daryl aiden uh, and builds a reputation as this figurehead named the silver paladin and he uses his Starfleet security training to aid various causes as kind of this gun for hire. Uh, but he's very well regarded in the Federation for his role as as this, you know, he kind of helps out planets who are fighting off the Ferengi and the Romulans even and this kind of thing. However, people in the Federation and Starfleet don't know that this is Daryl Aiden. They just know this figure named the Silver Paladin is this freedom fighter who's really good and pretty well regarded. I can't remember how he escaped from Starfleet. I feel like they say he just, they just say he managed to escape and Tasha was like, Oh, of course he did. He's that good. <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering <laughs> because I remember thinking like, well, yeah, he escaped and I couldn't, I kept thinking, I don't remember how he escaped. I wanted to go back and see if I could find that. And I forgot to go do that. But yeah, I guess it was just kind of mentioned that he escaped. But again, I'm thinking he's a bad guy, right? You know, mm -hmm. and it's like he's up to no good and he's on this planet. He's breaking the prime directive. He's getting involved with this warlord. He's creating strife and war and things are going and he should not be there. He should not be involved. And so that's the one beauty of this novel is setting this guy up to the point that you think that he's not good, that he's, you know, just this, the bad guy of the book. I did suspect there was something more going on. I, d I did kind of have this suspicion in the back of my mind that we would find out that not all was as it seemed. He seemed very genuinely shocked at what was coming out at the trial. But yeah, he, it does seem like he's kind of a bad guy. Like he escapes, right? And, and runs. And I mean, I guess he's already been convicted, but you, they say you don't run if you're innocent, but I guess he's already been convicted. So what does he have to lose? So I don't know. But yeah, it seems all very sus as the kids today say. See, fellow children, I'm hip too. There you go. I have no idea what Dan's talking about. So yeah, I just felt like he was playing everybody, you know? So mm. I, I didn't get any suspicion as to, you know, well, maybe he is good and maybe he's, you know, maybe there's something more to this. I didn't even go there. Well, most of this all comes out, this kind of backstory and, and how this all went down. Most of this actually comes out in Tasha Yar's 
memories and her rememberings as she and Data are traveling to the planet Treva in a shuttlecraft. And what this is all about is the leader of Treva, a woman by the name of Nalavia, requests Federation aid, and it seems that she wants their help in putting down a rebellion, which is not usually the kind of thing that Starfleet does, but Picard decides to send Yar and Data in this shuttlecraft to kind of assess the situation and see what's going on there. And there's a particular reason he sends Yar and Data, and they kind of figure it out later on, which I thought was pretty amusing. Yes, because Nalavia is so beautiful and sexual and has all these ways. And, well, you know, we don't want any of the men to be tempted by her. So, you know, Yar, (laughs) she's straight. She has no interest in women, so she will be able to handle any kind of sexual advances from Nalavia and data. Well, he's an Android, even though he's fully functional, (laughs) which that comes up. Oh, no pun intended, but that comes up several times here (laughs) in the story. That's terrific. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) Yeah, there is, I, I will say just, you know, even putting aside the kind of creepy factor of the earlier stuff and all of that, there's a lot of sexuality in this book. And and I feel, again, kind of like how the language surrounding Tashiar's early life comes from the series. I feel like the author is taking her cue from Star Trek The Next Generation, the series as it was up to this point. Because if you watch that season one a little bit, there's kind of this idea of sexual liberty and openness, I guess, in that first season. And... I mean, there, there's been lots of analysis of this. There's been the the things said about Gene Roddenberry that he really tried to sex things up and, and like wanted Troy to have three breasts and the Ferengi to have very large genitalia and like really weird stuff like that. But even putting that aside and just watching the show, things like the episode The Naked Now, where Data and Yar first get together and everybody gets drunk and is trying to sleep with everyone else. And... The episode Justice comes to mind as well, where they ha- they find that planet with the Edo and they're all very open and and uh, about experiences and they make love at the drop of a hat. Any hat, as Tasha says. Like, <laughs> there's just this idea of like very open, very liberal sexuality, which I, I really think like the author kind of took that idea and ran with it in this book and it fits in with what we saw in TNG up to this point. Yeah, it really does. It does fit in. Uh, it it feels like a season one episode, and that's part of the reason why it does. I mean, I'm not, you know, have this sexual freedom in my life, and I've never really been like that. But I kind of like that, though, because when it was in the first season, it was something that's a little different than in our time. We're not we don't have that kind of sexual freedom to that level on a general sense for most people. And you know, if in the future it's more that way, I thought, you know, that's an interesting take on the future. So I appreciated that. And I appreciate that in this book. But at times I did feel like it was a little much, like mm-hmm. a little too focused on that, especially with data. As yeah. If, like, <laughs> like he's walking around as the sex toy that all these women want. <laughs> there was a bit of that. It it felt like for sure. He, his, his fully functional programming, as you mentioned, Uh, was brought up a number of times in the novel. And he apparently has a flirting algorithm, which is interesting. So 
yeah, he's able to kind of turn it on and be suave with the ladies. And that's one of the things they do to get information out of Nalavia is he kind of turns it on and, and becomes flirtatious with her. Yeah. And it's interesting from Data's perspective. I really actually liked this one part where he's basically like, I could have sex with Nalavia. I could go down this road, but I don't really want to. I don't know why. But I just really, I don't want to with her. It doesn't feel right. And I really liked that. Like, I thought that was interesting that like, oh, I am programmed to do this. And if someone wants to do this, I will be able to do it. But then that bit of free will kind of comes in and he's like, but I may be choosing not to because I don't really feel like this is right. And I, I really liked that. And then later he meets up with her again and he's not flirtatious. And she doesn't like this about him. And she's like, what's wrong with you? And, you you know, and he's like, oh, you want me to do that again? Okay. And he, like, turns it back on. I mean, mm -hmm. it really is like a program. But as we see sprinkled throughout this book, there are things that seem as if he has more of an emotional connection to things and, and can think more of like, I don't feel, or I feel this way. There's some moments in there where he talks about his feelings, but at the same time, it's identified that he doesn't necessarily have feelings. So it's almost like he's got these subtle, small feelings inside of him. And I was like, are they really feelings or is it programming? And that's something that like, I would like to go back and watch TNG from the beginning again, because if you watch the first few seasons of the next generation, the idea of data simply not having any emotions whatsoever is not something that's really a thing at the beginning. You know, he does do these little smiles and he does do these things where he's curious about something and intrigued by things and excited about things. Like just look at him in the episode Elementary Dear Data when Jordy says we're going to go to the holodeck and play Sherlock Holmes. And he's just, he lights right up and he's excited. It's kind of in later seasons and I'd like to pinpoint exactly where it is where they first say that Data doesn't have emotions. And it's a bit of a change for his character. Because it is, yeah. I, I want to say, and I don't know if this is the earliest one, but I know they say it in The Offspring in the third season episode where he creates the daughter, Lol, and he says, I cannot feel love. I cannot, you know, all of this. I feel like it's before that somewhere, but that is one instance I remember where they say, like, Data does not have emotions. So I'm just wondering, can you have feelings without emotions? I mean, you can't, right? Mm -hmm. So... I'm just trying to figure out how this would work. It is a retcon because I, yeah. I feel like he very clearly had emotions he does. in the first few seasons and yes. in this novel for sure. Yeah, he absolutely does. I mean, not overly emotional person, but has some bit of emotions, which makes me again wonder, is it something in his process? I'm working in universe here. Is there something processing in him where he's programmed to emulate feelings of some things but doesn't really quite understand them but thinks he has feelings and maybe he does feel something but then he doesn't and then he realizes he doesn't really truly feel you know mm. i don't know or maybe he went to yeah. vulcan and went through colonar at some point <laughs> yeah. know, and suppressed all emotions <laughs> i did like how and i think it was david mack or it could have been jeffrey lang in immortal coil or it was David Mack in the Cold Equations trilogy. I can't remember exactly which one. But Jordy says something along the lines of, 
you know, the emotion chip gave data human emotions. But before that, he had Android emotions. Ah, interesting. A little different. Like, and, and Jordy says, like, you can't tell me data never had emotions. Like, blah, blah, blah. He had Android emotions. Now he has human emotions thanks to this emotion chip or something like that. And I was like, I like that. I really like that kind of explanation. I appreciated that. Yeah, because we know data, even in this first couple of seasons, doesn't have full emotions, right? I mean, even Brent Spiner wasn't playing as he was just an emotional android, like a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't full emotions. So yeah, that, that works for me. I feel like that it's it's kind of a happy medium because it is one of those things where I feel like the writers changed their minds at some point or decided to bring in this aspect of data's character and just, you know, never mind those few times before that, that it kind of contradicts that. It's okay. It's not nothing egregious kind of thing. But then it's like what we saw with Spock in the original series, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we see him smile and have all those emotions in the early episodes. The women! The women, right. <laughs> but then we get away from that. So they retcon that. But now we go back into this period of time with Discovery taking place years before that and plays with the Spock emotions. And now we're going to strange new worlds and doing that. So we're actually building something in universe as to why he has emotions or shows more emotions before the five-year mission with Kirk than during. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a good parallel. I like that for sure. So on the, as, as they're making their way to the planet Treva, they're learning about, kind of what's going on by monitoring the transmissions from the planet. I I really enjoyed this part where they're watching these kind of almost propaganda telecasts showing that, you know, the mighty Federation will come in and vanquish our enemies. Look at this data guy. He's so strong. He can do all these things. Tasha Yar has battled so many people before and, and emerged victorious and they're going to come like avenging angels to our planet. And what's interesting is they kind of realize that Nalavia, the leader of Treva, doesn't think that they can see these transmissions. And as they get closer to the planet, the transmissions change and they're more balanced and more like, oh, Starfleet's going to come and assess the situation and we're blah, you know, we like these people and we hope to show them hospitality. And it's like very different from one day to the next. So I like that kind of early indication that not all is as it seems. And this Nalavia person seems to have an agenda. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it feels like she's playing us too. So I feel Mm -hmm. like she's playing us and Dare is playing us. Yeah, I really was getting into it at this point. I mean, I was into the novel, but really getting into this because this is like, okay, now we're really getting to the meat of the story. Like something is going on here and I want to know all about it. Definitely. So they arrive at the planet and, you know, are are treated to, you know, dinners and and taken around by Nalavia and shown what's going on and that sort of thing. But very quickly, Tasha disappears she finds herself kidnapped by persons unknown and spirited away to this this castle led by Rickon or Riken. I kept seeing Riker. When I, I saw did the too. Name. I'm like, darn it, why can't they change that? Because it's spelled like Riker, but instead of an R at the end, it's an N. So yeah, a lot of times I'd see that and thought it was Riker. <laughs> yeah. And the other one I I kept seeing Dare and I kept seeing Data. 
when, when yes. it was written. I was like, darn it. Why, why are they, why do they do this? That not only <laughs> happened in the book, but it happened in the show notes. <laughs> oh no. Because <laughs> when I first looked at our notes and you start putting them together, you have a section that's titled Dare. And I first read that as Data. And I was like, oh wait, no, that's not Data. And then I created a section called Data. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I'm I'm curious, like, is there a reason that this guy is supposed to be compared to Riker and Dare is compared? Well, Dare is compared to Data a number of times, actually, because Tasha does say that he's attractive in the same way that Data is attractive. And they, they have very similar builds and very similar, like, facial features, which... That's right, yes. That's interesting. The D, four-letter word that starts with D, that's not the only similarity between them, which is interesting. Yeah, but I don't see the connection between Riken and Riker, necessarily. Yeah, and I kind of kept looking for it, because I was suspecting something. But yeah, there's nothing really there, I don't think. Yeah, because he's an older guy. He's a warlord. I don't... His behavior doesn't remind me of Riker in any way. No, it uh, must be just a coincidence that the names are close together. Yeah, probably. So speaking of Riken, he's behind the kidnapping. He's a former warlord, uh, one of the leaders of the planet before democracy came in. There were a, a bunch of warlords that basically led parts of the planet. Democracy came in, and they elected leaders... This latest leader, though, Nalavia, seems to be kind of altering things to her own ends. And we start to kind of piece together what's going on a little bit. She's manipulating the broadcast. She has control over the media. And apparently there's something being put in the water supply, a drug to make people, you know, suggestive to hypnosis kind of thing. So she's really got the planet's population in thrall. Like she's got total control over everything except for the people in the countryside, because of course they don't use the government supplied water system. They use wells and that sort of thing. So, and it's funny because Riken is telling Yar this and at the same time, Data, who's still at Nalavia's place, figures this out on his own by breaking into the computer system and kind of figuring out all the little pieces of the plot. I think at this point, I was thinking that, okay, Nalavia is not good. Dare's not good. Riken's not good. Nobody here is good. This planet sucks. We just need these people to stop it and just arrest them and start all over again. But as the novel goes on, I start to realize that Riken is actually on more of the good side and that, you know, he's there to help stop what Nalavia is doing. And so I started warming up more to Riken and really liking his character, especially his relationship with Data. Mm -hmm. I really like that relationship, too. And it's funny that we end up liking this character so much and he turns out to be such a good guy with the title of Warlord, which, right. you know, they keep referring to him as that. And I'm like, mm, maybe you want to work with your branding people and kind of move away from that title, <laughs> you yeah. know, just, just kind of ease things that maybe, uh, I don't know, some other title than warlord might, might suit you a little better, but yeah, I do like this kind of relationship and data notes that, you know, not a lot of people relate to him as a person right away. He says the only other person he's ever met to do that was Jordy and they're best friends now, but Riken kind of does this and surprise, surprise, guess who else is here? And apparently fighting on the side of Riken, it's Dare and his gang, the Silver Paladin. This is where it's revealed that Dare is the Silver Paladin and, and he has this gang of freedom fighters and stuff. 
initially before he meets data he's very much like oh you brought it this piece of technology blah 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 but almost as soon as he meets data he also just relates to data as a person and just you know there's a little note of one part where they're looking at a computer terminal and and dare puts his hand on data's shoulder and like points something out and data's like oh no one ever does that to me except Jordy. You know, I, I've never, nobody ever relates to me as a person quite like this. So we're seeing that like, oh, maybe Dare's not that bad a guy. Maybe he's actually a good guy in his interactions with Data. Yeah, I remember that scene of him putting his hand on Data's shoulder because it did show that Dare looks at Data as probably more human than being machine, right? And mm -hmm. so that kind of built on that relationship. So it got to explore more of the Data character, which made me start to think about the next novel that we're going to do after this is Metamorphosis that focuses more on Data, also re written by Jean Laura. And I thought that, you know, she may, I don't think that was her intention with this book is to build that one, but I think that this is a good demonstration of how she can explore the Data character. I think she does a very good job with Data. In this book, I think it's interesting when he's asked if he ages, and he hasn't been around that long to know if he ages, but he may have programming in him that does age himself, which I thought was good too, because obviously Brent Spiner aged as we went from encounter at Farpoint to Nemesis. So, yeah. I, you know, I thought, well, yeah, he he does have some aging to him. Now, when you watch All Good Things, we see him later at whether Cambridge or Oxford. I can't remember which, but, you know, he's he's got the gray, but he put that there himself because he wasn't Looks angry. like a bloody skunk. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but I, I do like the insights that we get in into his character in this novel. I want to touch a little bit on the title of the novel, Survivors, because as we get through this novel, we find that it refers to so many people. Tashi Yar, of course, is a survivor, having lived through that horrific childhood and kind of ironically called a survivor, I guess, in this novel. But we'll get to that. Uh, Dare is referred to as a survivor. He says several times, I'm a survivor, right? He gets through the troubles that he has with Starfleet and all that stuff to escape and make a life for himself. And Data, as we were just saying, with his immortality, it makes him a survivor as well. Yeah, because he'll survive. He'll outlast all of us or could, <laughs> mm -hmm. because to your point in Nemesis, he doesn't. But yeah, he is a survivor. And I, I like that because it does play on the title of the book. It makes me wonder, was the title established before the book was written or did she come up with the title afterwards? You know? I think afterwards, because apparently it's listed in catalogs way early in the day as being titled A Question of Security. Ooh. So apparently that was the working title and it got changed to survive. How did you know that? That's impressive. Okay. Actually, in the very back of this book, there's a page that is like a little catalog for upcoming novels. And it yeah. says the first four novels of the next generation, Ghost Chip, Children of Hamelin, something else, and A Question of Security. And I was like, what? What book is that? So I looked at it and it's, oh, it's this book. <laughs> So I'm looking in the notes here and you do have something mentioned about uh, data mentioning to Riken, if it should ever become possible to transfer human consciousness into an Android body, I do not know if having once been human, a person could adapt. So uh, you make an interesting point here and, and I'm curious your take on this. 
Well, when I read that, I thought this just reminded me of Star Trek Picard because that's what happens to Picard. Picard mm-hmm. becomes an android. He, his essence is moved into a body and he has to adapt to it. And as of this recording, we've only seen season one. And so I'm curious when we get to season two, I'm sure we'll see something how he's dealing with that change in him as being in an android body and how to adapt to it. And I know that this book, of course, isn't connected and was written way before Picard. And it's interesting that Data saying that he doesn't think someone who be human could adapt to an android body. And I'm just curious to see, oh, really, Data? That's how you feel? Well, let's see how Picard handles it. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. And, and I love that you made that point because I have to admit it just kind of sailed past me as I read it. I didn't even think of it. But... That's a really great point. Now I'm really curious to see where that show takes that idea, because I think a lot of the topics raised in this novel are things that could be really fun to explore in Picard season two because of what we see in that episode. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be an android? All that sort of stuff. So very interesting. Yeah. And honestly, and I don't think this is spoilers because I don't know anything, but I mean, we've just got recent news that John Delancey is returning as Q. So when I saw that, I did think at the time, well, will Q do something that converts Picard back into his human self, have his human body? So maybe Picard does have some issues in adapting to an android body and stuff, and Q's kind of helping him out there. I don't know. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, it could be. So Yar and Data do end up fighting on the side of Rickon, basically because their lives are in danger and they come under attack. They, they're implementing this whole plan, basically, also to replace this drug in the water supply with something inert and kind of shake the influence of Nalavia off of her people. In very quick succession, they, they're fighting at the end here. The plan seems to work. Nalavia recalls her troops to kind of deal with what's going on in the cities with with the people rising up or something like that. There's this whole thing where Yar and Dare have reconnected. Yar is convinced that Dare didn't do what they said that he did and, and is kind of having these conflicting feelings and that sort of thing. However, it's her duty as a Starfleet security officer to arrest Dare, who is a fugitive of the Federation. And Data kind of reminds her of that duty. And when all is said and done, the Enterprise shows up. They sent a a kind of call that piqued their curiosity and they came back to this planet to see what's going on. Tasha says, you know, oh, three to beam up. It's her Data and Riken who are going to beam up. And Data just like looks at Yar and says, four to beam up. And Tasha's like, oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to arrest this guy. It's my duty. So she she amends it and says four to beam up and arrests Dare. And, and again, in this moment, I'm feeling for Tasha because of her torn loyalties. And by this point, we don't have proof. But I think we as the audience are meant to be convinced that he didn't do it as well. I think. At least at this point, I'm feeling like I don't think he did it. I think there's evidence. I think they'll find it. At this point, We don't know what that evidence is or anything like that, but I don't think he did it. Were you thinking the same thing at this point or were you still thinking that he was playing people and actually a bad guy? I always love recording with you because then I find out, oh my gosh, you know, we think so much alike or we pick up on the same things. Not this time. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) 
I really still thought he was guilty. I just felt like she was letting her emotions now get in the way. It was clouding her judgment because then we have data saying to her earlier, you know, when the time comes, you need to arrest him. Can you do it? And I mean, she hesitates, but she's like, yeah, I mean, it's my duty. I'm going to have to do it. And I thought, oh my gosh, is she really going to do it? I mean, the guy, I mean, at this point, he really is at a point now. I mean, he is guilty because he did escape, you know, he Mm -hmm. did break out of his prison or whatever. So there's at least that that's against him. So he does need to go back, you know, and I was like, will she do it? And this scene that you just described was my favorite part of this book. It's so well written. Right? Yes. I mean, it was just like, I didn't even see it coming because right, you know, all this action is happening and all this fighting's going on, this war's going on. Riken is injured and Data and Yar show up and it's like, all of a sudden, there's Picard coming through the communicator. It's like, oh my gosh, they're here. Good. We've got to get this guy to sickbay. Three to beam up. And Data just matter-of-factly says, no four to be and it was like (gasps) and you just felt it for yar like yes oh my gosh yes oh i have to do this uh yeah four to beam up and it was like it was just so perfect i think that worked so well because it was data too Mm -hmm. you know just because you could just hear him say it almost in a cold emotionless way yeah but also an authoritative way like this is what must be done yeah. Matter of fact. Yeah. And in th- at this moment, like, like you said, it's a surprise and it's like, oh, oh yeah. And so me reading it, my reaction is almost the same as Tasha's because yes, in that moment same. she's like, oh, I forgot. Oh no. And me too. I'm like, oh wow, that's brutal. You know? And, but Tasha does her duty and she believes him to be innocent. She told him as much. And by this point, we've learned a lot about Dare. If he's to be trusted and what his people say are to be trusted, he doesn't take jobs just to make money. He takes jobs that are righteous and just. And, you know, he's always on the side of good, supposedly. And if we believe him, we know his character is probably not the kind that would get a bunch of Starfleet people killed and sell out to the Orions. Again, if we believe him, if you don't believe him, then that's a different story. And I totally understand why maybe at this point you wouldn't believe him. So it it is still a question up in the air if he is innocent or not. And it's up to Data to figure it out. He kind of realizes he hasn't been fully exploring the question. And they kind of touch on this a little bit. And I think it's because he has a little bit of feelings of jealousy towards Dare with regards to Tasha, that he hasn't even entertained the possibility that maybe he is innocent and maybe there is evidence. And I'm going to pursue this because I just realized that I haven't even been considering the possibility. And that whole bit where he kind of breaks into the Starbase computer with his consciousness, with his soul, I guess, into the Starbase computer to find this evidence. I loved that. I thought that was really interesting. I feel a little different on that. I mean, I appreciate the fact that Data did that and he was looking to find information to see if Dare is innocent. And he started also to believe that there's an innocence there. But for me, I think 
my approach to reading this book was that I guess I didn't really read into Dare being innocent and that, you know, there's a misunderstanding going on here because I really felt the book was supposed to challenge Yar. It was supposed to challenge Yar to see if somebody that rescued her, someone that she fell in love with, if he did something wrong, can she do the right thing Mm. and handling the situation? Will she give in to him because of the things he did for her or will she do the right thing and arrest the man that did something wrong, even though he did right by her? And that's still the theme of the book because it's believed by everyone that he is guilty and she still has to go through that and do that. And she does stand up for the right. But then it kind of felt like a cop out to me at the end when data proves that he is innocent I think I would have liked it better if he was arrested and Yard did the right thing and she has to live with the consequences of she was betrayed by this man, but she stayed loyal to Starfleet. See, I kind of liked how it went because of what it does for Yar's character at the end of the story where, you know, this man that she loves has been exonerated and Starfleet accepts Data's evidence and completely exonerates him pretty cool but he doesn't return to starfleet he decides to stay as the silver paladin and and freelance basically and kind of invites yar to go with him you kind of forget for a moment what's going to happen very soon after this moment because you know she says well I'm, i'm gonna finish out my tour on the enterprise first and then we'll see and i like that that choice is given to Tasha and and she has that choice in front of her. So I liked that aspect of it. To your point, I think we, like you said, still get that bit of a test for Tasha and she passes, right? She yes. does do what she has to do, even though it causes her great pain. And I have to say, like Data finds the evidence. And from that, we immediately go to a scene where Tasha goes to dare in the brig And for a few moments of this scene, I was wondering if that evidence had come to light yet or if Data was still making his report. And was Tasha coming to the brig with his clothes, turning off the force field and giving them to him saying, like, run, go free before they before they know what's going on? I thought for a second she was doing that. And then she says, you've been exonerated. So, okay, that all happened off screen. Okay, but. For a moment, I was like, oh, is this, is she going back on, on her duty and setting him free only to find out that he's actually innocent later or something like that. And, but that's not where the novel went, but just for a moment, I thought that was kind of where they were going. Yeah. Cause I wasn't sure to your point, it was like Data's like looking into this and then she's there at the brig yeah. and it's like, what is she doing? You know? And I would I I didn't know if she knew anything but then it became clear that she did and she was telling him that he was innocent. And I mean I guess I guess it worked. I mean the book still works for me. I guess I just felt like by all of a sudden, oh no wait, he's really innocent. He was set up. It just felt like oh we're trying to put a happy ending to this, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to just leaving it where, you know, he was he did wrong, but we don't really get a happy ending in a lot of ways to your point, because this leads into the next episode of skin of evil. And I was surprised in chapter 12 at the very end of the book, we get kind of a retelling of Yar's death at the hands of Armus in the episode skin of evil and the fallout from that and what it means for data and how he deals with it. I really enjoy, (laughs) 
enjoyed. I don't know that I enjoyed that chapter. It's tragic and it's sad, especially given this novel that we've just read uh, detailing this aspect of Yar's life. But I really appreciated that part of the novel and, and it telling that story. I thought it was really terrific. And, and I've always loved the dialogue in that episode where, and it's recreated in this novel, where Data says to Picard at the funeral for Yar, I don't understand the purpose of this. My thoughts are not for Tasha. They're for myself and how this will be, this absence, how I'll cope with it. And Picard says, oh, you got it, Data. You you got the point of this. And Data comes to understand that even more fully as he takes on this mission to deliver the message of Tasha Yar's death to Dare and realizes that like, oh, I, I wouldn't have cared so much about this before and now I feel like I should leave a message for the people in my life in case I die. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I really did get it. You know, Picard says, you really did get it, Data. You understand. I loved that. It was really moving. I like how that ended. I, I, as I was reading chapter 12 and it's replaying Skin of Evil so much and, and repeating a lot of the dialogue word for word from the episode, it was going on for a while. I'm like, are we just going to retell this whole episode? It's like, but then it got to the end where it's like, okay, and here's the reward for that. Here's where we're leading to this. So to my point earlier about, I kind of felt was a cop out that Dare was now innocent, but it works now when you put this chapter in. Because for me, it's like if if Dare really was guilty and it ended with Yar feeling betrayed and then this chapter comes up and then she dies, <laughs> it's, it's really dark, you know, it works better that things in her life seem to now have come together, right? She's back on the Enterprise. Her lover is innocent and she's going to reunite with him again at some point after she finishes some tour of duty on the ship and everything is in place. And then boom, this happens. Mm -hmm. And then that whole thing where data is going to take this message to dare, which we don't see happen, but you know, just imagine the moment even for dare of I've been proven innocent. I've got my life back and now something's been taken away. And the author even makes note of this, I think in the foreword, where she says that Tasha kind of had an edge to her. And then all of a sudden at the start of the episode where she dies, she seems lighter. She seems more at ease. And this novel explains why. And I was like, oh, never really noticed that. And then I thought about it and I was like, yeah, she has that bit of banter with Worf at the beginning of the episode. And she seems smiley and stuff. And I was like, that's interesting that the author just picked that little choice on the actor's part or the director's part or whatever, and said, this all happened and her lover was exonerated and stuff. And that's why she's happy now or something. And I'm like, Oh, a little bit of happiness right before sadly the tragedy that ends her life. So, yeah. and that makes sense because if you're tying, if you're trying to take this book and then tie it into that episode, then yes, that makes sense. If you didn't end the book with this chapter, that didn't tie to an episode, then you could go in any direction. But if she's trying to lead into this episode, then yes, that makes sense. So there were a couple other little things that you had in the notes here that I really like. And again, this kind of goes back to it's early in the TNG uh, run and there's some change circumstances and stuff. Uh, one of which I'd noted earlier, I didn't really mention though, was uh, Tasha Yar's colony that she grew up on was New Paris in this novel. 
in season four, we learn that it's actually Turkana four where we meet her sister and all of that. That of course hadn't been written yet. So that's, you know, something that that's a little changed premise, but you noted a few other things as well that I thought were interesting. Yeah. So one thing it mentions is that the Klingons are now members of the Federation. Mm-hmm. And I know that I think that was an early concept that they were playing with early in TNG, but never really went with it but wasn't there something i think wesley or somebody mm-hmm. makes a mention of that in, in the, an early episode yeah in the second season episode samaritan snare wesley says to picard picard's telling the story about him getting in a fight with the nausicans and wesley says this was before the klingons joined the federation and picard says yes that's right and blah 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 so there's that and then of course they meet up with a klingon ship in the first season and behind the Klingon captain is the Klingon symbol and the Federation symbol on the Klingon ship for some reason. But we just ignore that now. They're just allies. They're not part of the Federation. But in the early days, that seemed to be the intent that they wanted to to go with that. So is there anything in screen canon that would say that there's no way that could have happened where the Klingons were briefly members of the Federation? I don't think there's anything that directly says that, but it does seem like it doesn't really fit with what we see of the Klingon Empire later on and that sort of thing. Yeah, and it's not mentioned that they once were or something. Like, yeah. if, if that had happened, you would think you'd hear more about it. You know? I feel like at least Worf would be would have a day to kind of deal with the news <laughs> that they <laughs> right. left or something. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And the other thing in here was that Dare was in disguise as an Orion because there's this training program on the holodeck that Yar was going through and she didn't know that this Orion in this simulation was Dare in disguise. She finds that out later after he takes off his reptilian mask off. And I was like, wait, reptilian Matt, wait. And starts to describe the Orion looking like a reptile, you know, with the gray yeah. skin and scales. And I looked up on memory beta and this is the only novel that refers to Orion's as looking like reptiles. And, uh, but, you know, in Memory Beta, it mentions that, you know, there's various species of Orion's and this is one of them. Mm-hmm. I feel like she was borrowing a lot from the animated series depiction of the Orion's. In I this. wondered that too, yeah. Because there's another moment where they talk about the helmets that the Orion's all wear. And I was remembering that from the animated series. And if you look up a picture of the Orions in the animated series, their faces are a little bit kind of more angular. So maybe they could be kind of more reptilian under there. I I feel like it's a bit of a stretch, but I could see it a little bit. So that's what I was thinking. I was like the, the reptilian mentions, I just kind of like squinted and imagined them more as the green guys rather than the reptiles. So now I went with reptiles because I do like the idea of, multiple species you know i mean just because we see green orions all the time there could be another species of orions a smaller one you know on the planet that you just don't see that often it reminds me of the zindi you know how there's different zindi species i like that Uh, and the other point you have here that data's organic components require nutritional boosts i thought that was interesting the only like reference i can remember is that data says at one point in an episode that he ingests a chemical 
things suspended in liquid to lubricate his biofunctions or something like that in some episode of TNG. So there's like a little bit. And, and we do know he can eat and drink. Uh, I don't know if it's just stored somewhere until he offloads it. <laughs> However that works. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really want to know. Um, uh, I hadn't thought but, about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a rabbit hole. Don't, we don't want to go there, but uh, yeah, I, it's, it's an interesting that, it does seem that more more of his functioning is biological in this than we've seen in the next generation. Other than, like I said, that one mention about his bio functions, whatever those are. Because I think I also remember another point where they offered him food and he said he didn't need to eat or something mm-hmm. or he didn't want to eat. But I, I just kind of looked at this and thought, well, maybe Data does. It Maybe it's helpful for him to have food every once in a blue moon to help you know, with his co- organic components, but it's something he, he needs a little bit of brand. Sometimes we all need to be regular. Ex- it's, it's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Regular data. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking how he, you know, maybe it's something he only does like once a week or once a month or something. Not all that often, you know? Well, with all of those thoughts kind of aside, also, uh, we didn't mention Nalavia turned out to be an Orion. So uh, Picard was right about her feminine wiles making men go crazy. So, yeah, yeah I, I kind of like that. I thought, well, that works. Yeah. I, that, yeah. I was like, works. oh, that's clever. Yeah. That was one of those things that there were like seeds planted throughout that like, oh, that makes sense. That's cool. Yeah. So I appreciated that. Yeah, me too. So with all of that uh, said, what are your kind of final thoughts and maybe a rating for the TNG novel Survivors? I thought this was pretty good. I'm not going to give it a high rating just because, I mean, there's just parts of it that I don't know. I think, again, because it was an early TNG novel and some of these early novels don't exactly fit into what we think of as TNG. So I can't necessarily fault it for that at all. But yeah, I liked I liked the backstory on Yar. I like seeing the memories that, you know, of her going through training and and even in her early life and all the tough things that she went through. You know, the, the relationship with Dare wasn't all that great to me. I didn't really feel the feelings of these two like it really felt real to me so that didn't work i love that reveal data saying four to beam up you know and it's like oh yes you know i mean that that hit it out of the park for me so yeah there were some pluses and minuses in there but more pluses than minuses for sure so no i thought it was a good novel and if again if you're a tashi yar fan i definitely would recommend this one so i would give this book about three quarters of a glass of contaminated water oh wow all right (laughs) okay yeah i i don't know i i read i very much enjoyed this novel i think for the most part i did have some of those issues with the beginning and the setup and that sort of thing but i i fairly quickly get over them you know if you just kind of like accept like okay i don't really like how this relationship started but I can kind of go with it. Other than that, I really enjoyed the story. I thought it moved at a really good pace. I really liked the kind of palace intrigue stuff and the kind of, you know, who's good, who's bad, who can I trust, what's going on here, who's manipulating who. 
I, I really enjoyed that story. On a personal level, I really liked the insights into Data and Yar's life. And for a character that I think didn't really get a fair shake at the beginning, this is kind of fun to learn more about her, even though, of course, it's a novel, it's non-canon, but it's still fun to kind of delve into Tasha Yar and, and learn more about her. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to end up giving this... Four out of five phasers that aren't properly charged because of that darn circuit they switched out. But, uh, you know, they'll still good work to, like, beat the Orions over the head or something with. Except they have those helmets. Darn it. Oh, well. I don't know. Four out of five. <laughs> Were those phasers, was it sabotage or sabotage? <laughs> <laughs> Reference acknowledged. <laughs> Well, Bruce, when you're not worrying about the sabotaged phasers, where can we find you? (laughs) (laughs) If anybody doesn't know, we're talking about Google it and Google, make sure William Shatner is in that. Uh, So it's, uh, I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. I'm also on Instagram at Admiral Rex. You can email me at Admiral underscore Rex at yahoo.com. And uh, you can hear me on the Star Wars report, the uh, recent one that I haven't recorded, but by the time you hear this, it will have been recorded. And uh, also a literary treks that's coming up that we're talking about the lost years. So that should be interesting. And that's about it. The lost years. That's a good novel. I enjoy that one. Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can also find me on youtube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. My website is treklet.com where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. Instagram, Kurtrats47. And of course, the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. My favorite place online right now for Star Trek discussions. Maybe second only to our new Goodreads group on goodreads.com. Just search for Positively Trek there. We have a group discussing the novels, all the novels of the Star Trek universe and bookshelves with what's coming up in future shows. So you can keep up with us there as well. And it's so great in the Goodreads group right now because everybody's going there, introducing themselves, saying why they read Star Trek novels, what they love about Star Trek novels. I'm really enjoying what people are saying there. So yeah, join us and let us know your background into Star Trek. I love that thread. I've lurked in there. I've just been reading everyone's. I haven't written yet because I like doing long bits on my computer and I was just on my phone. So I, I will chime in in that group more often than I did back in the literary treks days because I was very bad about posting in there. But I'm going to make it a goal to be better about that this time around. So, yeah, I hope so, because I remember in the Goodreads group, it said that I was one of the moderators and I had made like 200 comments and you made like 18 Oh, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) I'm turning over a new leaf. I promise. I promise. But yeah, when I'm not in the Goodreads group, you'll find me, of course, here on Positively Trek. And you can reach out to Positively Trek on Twitter at Positively Trek. We're also at Positively Trek on Instagram. Email us, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. And support us on Patreon if you're able. We would love to have your help in bringing these episodes to you, but if you can't, that's okay. The show is free and will always remain so. Thank you so much to our associate producer, William Smith, for all of your help. We really do appreciate it. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Until then, as always, 
stay positive. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.